Hello, and welcome back to Cena Files, the world's greatest John Cena review film. <laughs> Let's do that one more time. Welcome back to Cena Files, the world's greatest John Cena film review program, and we've got a special one, ladies, gentlemen, and ladies. We are gonna be bringing the family today. This is about family for Cena Files today because it's only right that when we come here to discuss the latest chapter in the cinematic career, the history of the Doctor of Thugonomics, the 16-time world champion, best-selling author, TV show host, and overall sentient meme machine, John Cena, we brought in a member of our own family. Much like Han, spoiler alert, people do come back. Adam Ismail is here, and he is a man who left New York and tech writing for Pennsylvania and auto writing. He is a man who can help you find the right car. You just have to drive it well. A man we truly miss working alongside every day, as much as I miss seeing Mike every day. Like, I get to do this with Mike on Cinephiles, and we go to movies sometimes, like this movie today. Um, but Adam is a staff writer at Jalopnik, who we worked with at Tom's Guide for a number of years, transitioning from office to office, from ownership to ownership, and he is also one half of the excellent Time Extend podcast by night. So we are here to talk about F9, aka The Fast Saga, and we're going to start off, Adam, by first welcoming you, but secondly, the question that everybody gets asked, and I think you might have the most different answer yet. How did you first learn about the man, the myth, the guy who really should have said and not apologized for it, that Taiwan is a country. How did you learn about John Cena? So I'll start by saying thank you guys so much for having me on. This is great. Uh, I love, you know, just seeing your faces in any context. But to do that and talk about John Cena and F9 and family is like, you know, it just makes it all better. Uh, as for John Cena, so I, I wasn't into wrestling when I was a kid. Um, but I did go over like friends houses and they had like those WWF, like the no mercy, those games and stuff like that. And, uh, it, it was probably one of the GameCube. So it was a little bit later, but I remember that was around the time he was like coming up and like really big. Uh, so he was in those games and I think he is the reason, uh, that I wear jean shorts today. You know, if, if you asked me in the beginning, you know, Adam, why are you wearing jorts? Uh, I probably wouldn't have had an answer for you, but now I'm, you know, the puzzle pieces are kind of fitting in my head. So yeah, I think it was all all John Cena. So the jorts weren't just about annoying Caitlin. Okay, the more we know, the more you learn. <laughs> always here to annoy Caitlin, but not this time. <laughs> so Mike, as we always do, we've got a transition from the movie corner to the Wikipedia corner. How are you doing today, boy? I am doing great, guys. This is such a special episode. This is the first Cinephiles where we're covering a brand new film that more or less just came out in theaters. So everything's fresh. Everything's exciting. We're in the midst of this amazing meme renaissance with Fast and Furious, where Dom Toretto is getting inserted in everything from DBZ to Halo to any pop culture franchise you could think of. Uh, and yeah, obviously, there's a very there's a lot to talk about in this week's Wikipedia Corner because this is such a massive, massive film. Um, so yeah, some fun facts about F9 and the Fast Saga, which is the most hilariously convoluted <laughs> take on them naming one of these films yet. Uh, yeah, so F9 was originally scheduled to come out in April 2020 and was delayed for several reasons, not, not just because of the pandemic, but uh, also because of Hobbs and Shaw, which came out in 2019. Uh, the original release date of No Time to Die, the James Bond film, 
And then ultimately COVID, of course, pushed things way, way back. But it did eventually release internationally May 19th here in the States, June 25th. And uh, guess what, guys? It made a lot of money. Uh, as of July 8th, F9 has grossed $130 million in the U.S. and Canada, $378 uh, yeah, three hundred seventy-eight million dollars in other territories. So it's looking; it's currently sitting at just over five hundred and eight million bucks made around the world. Um, much like the crew did in Fast Five with that massive <laughs> bank. You know, it, it, this movie is effectively the crew at the end of Fast Five hauling that massive vault of money across the highway because uh, a lot of people went to see this. Uh, I, th I think I think it, it was sitting at a post-pandemic record, but I believe Black Widow already beat it or is outpacing it. But huge release, made a lot of money. Well, that is about the amount of collateral damage that Vin Diesel's skull does in this movie. <laughs> yes, that is like, complete, completely accurate. Um, yeah. Speaking of collateral damage, the uh, the Rotten Tomato scores are, are kind of. A mixed bag the it's sitting at a 60 percent on the tomato meter which i feel like for one of these films isn't that bad um i feel like they never really do too well critically but sitting at 82 percent uh in the audience score and i think we'll have plenty to say later about where it sits for us in our both in our fast and furious rankings and in our cinephiles rankings but uh yeah those are your fun facts about uh fast line this big massive wonderfully silly film where a car will always save your life as long as you land directly on it. And since we've gone from the Wikipedia corner, now it's time for my over-analysis of opening credit title cards. This is the first time I noticed One Race, which is the studio owned by Vin Diesel. That is the, that is the, um, it's the human race, I believe it's called. That's why it's called that. But it's also, in my notes, Perfect Storm Films, or Perfect storm uh film it's like that's the other half of this i'm just trying to look it up but the problem is there's namespace pollution around that because of the perfect storm movie so we're gonna move on we're not gonna figure that out but we're just gonna realize that vin diesel is trying to create a global harmony through these movies that's what i'm assuming by the title one race um but i'm not gonna assume anything worse we have to talk about good crowds versus not great crowds Adam, mm. what was it like to see this movie? You saw it this past Thursday, if I'm correct. I, I saw it on a Thursday night, which honestly, like, I, I thought there'd be more people there. Now, granted, I do not live in the city anymore, so, you know, it, it, not surprised. It was also, like, a really, like, rainy, stormy night, so people weren't really going out. Uh, the other was pretty much empty. Um, there was one dude behind me who basically laughed at whatever Roman said, and that was it. And then there were there were people uh to the left of me who never really made any noise the entire film so it was you know it was fun that was kind of like my second time i thought an 11 40 a.m crowd which didn't really have much reactions um the biggest disappointment though because when mike and i saw it the first time mike what were what did the crowd like the most outside of the movie what did they like the most right before uh, remember, the movie everyone... started what was something I remember that... everyone laughing. I remember everyone laughing at the trailer for that new M Night Shyamalan movie. Old, a fun old. collective experience. <laughs> yes, when the, when the words "old" came across the screen, and I will say we'll get into it in the specific moments. But I, I had such a blast seeing this with you, Henry, that Friday night it came out. So I think we did have a really good crowd, and there were so many scenes where you know we're all cheering and laughing for all the ridiculous action scenes. But there were scenes that definitely were not meant to be funny that we were all collectively laughing at, and we'll definitely highlight those. But it was this was. 
I'm really happy that this was one of the first films I got to come back to a theater for because the crowd definitely added to it. Who, if nature is going to be healing, it's better be healing from the coronavirus with the master of Coronas, Dom Toretto, the man who has st- has forgiven Corona beer for the uh, sins of its namesake. Um, but let's travel back in time a little bit to the racetracks where Jack Toretto, as we learn from the Toretto name on his helmet, is getting ready to race, and Michael Rooker is his buddy. And that is my favorite. Oh, they can bring everybody into these movies. Yondu yeah, himself. Yeah, uh, Yondu and Groot have been reunited. And we, we, we meet young Dom, who basically looks like Benicio Del Toro, and or younger Benicio Del Toro, and then this younger brother, um, who we later learn is named Jacob, who dad gives like a little command to. And then before the race starts, Jack tells Dom the important message. It's not about being the stronger man, but it's about being the bigger man. But if you're the bigger man, aren't you also likely stronger because you're just like jacked up? Like I, I the yeah. message is sort of lost on me. Yeah, he did. He clearly did not see the the, the later Fast and Furious films in that came from the future, where where Agent Hobbs overpowers everybody. But we digress because things don't uh, go yeah, well. Question, actually. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Adam. Uh, for you guys. Do you happen to know the racetrack that this scene was filmed at? It looked sort of iconic. Um, tell me, and I might say I knew that name. Mike, do you know? So it was, it was Irwindale Speedway in California, uh, which actually I I didn't catch uh, in the in the movie. They call it Baldwin Speedway or something like that. And of course, with the with the magic of CGI and everything, they make it look. Dep- decrepit and old and sepia tone like a 2006 xbox 360 game but uh so irwindale is actually where because of its location in california and everything it's where a lot of scenes racing scenes in movies uh are filmed so yeah i i went with a friend who's like an even bigger like more knowledgeable racing fan than i am and he just he just picked it out right away it's a really like historic like the sepia toneness adds to like this movie loves its filters, mm-hmm. mostly just for the flashbacks and things that happen around the flashbacks. I think I, I mean, crack- how else are we going to know it's a flashback other than Dom and Jacob looking slightly different? Jacob, <laughs> I've now seen that actor in TV ads for something on TNT and like whatever it is looks so much worse. I'm like, OK, that kid will be a thing. He'll be a thing someday. But as Dom's coaching his dad, his dad's having a rough time on the tracks and like he gets like, there's a guy who's just like basically doing that whole. What's that old movie where the guy's like, the chariot? It's chariots of fire. What am I thinking of? The, that historic, like not historic, but like, basically Dom's dad Jake gets pushed off the tracks into the air and immediately combusts into a fireball. And Adam, this was my question for you as our car expert: Is that instantaneous an explosion? Something that, or is it no. like? It was it was very grisly. I would say that a crash like that probably wouldn't be so fiery. But here's the thing: there were a lot of crashes like that in NASCAR back in the day. And like, if you ever see like, there's this terrible movie with Sylvester Stallone called Driven, uh, where he's racing like open wheel. This was supposed to be his like Rocky for racing in like 2000. It was utterly horrible. Um, that movie has a lot of ridiculous crashes that would never happen. The crash in this movie, that one, 
is is conceivable and in nascar in the 90s especially in the early 90s so like maybe a couple years before this would have been taking place in the movie like people got fucked up and it was bad so on one hand it's like believable makes sense on the other hand when you see everything that the entire cast goes through for the rest of the movie and they don't get hurt it's kind of ridiculous that this guy dies in the car accident on the racetrack and uh, something which is something that the film itself acknowledges it tries for, to uh, explain pretty soon yeah. but uh so yeah as as henry mentioned feasible or not jack toretto dies in this this massive car explosion you know dom's crying there's nothing he could really do about it michael rooker's holding him back from from getting into the fire uh and then we flash forward to present day where dom himself is a father and he's living his quiet life with letty and young brian uh they're just doing domestic things they're working on one of dom's cars there's a cute little scene where Dom asks Brian for a specific wrench or a tool, and Brian gives him one. He's like, are you sure this is the right one? Then Brian goes back, somehow knows the exact size wrench that you need to fix this one part of the car. Because, you know, that's what you, you He's do. He's a Toretto. A, he's a Toretto. It's, it's in his blood. Cars are in his blood. Uh, then someone so drives up. Yeah. Someone, uh, someone drives up to their farm, and uh, neither of them were expecting anyone. So they're they're in full defense mode. They ha- already have this secret hatch for little Brian to go into. They, they they are prepared for any type of disaster or invasion. They've got their guns out. It is so Brian is also he's like so cool. He's like Brian, do what we, we do what we practice. And the kid just goes. He doesn't he doesn't cry. He, he just he just fucking goes. He he's gonna be like he's gonna be like more of a Toretto than his father is. Watch. He it's is a happen. very yeah. He's very he's very chill, very unafraid child. Could think he's half Toretto, and uh, his mother is I forget the woman's name. The the cop from like five, six, and seven. Yeah. Um. So he's got yeah. He's got he's got some serious blood, and uh, he's he's ready for he's 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 ready for any disaster. But the Letty and Dom don't know who's coming. And then as Henry's alluding to, we get this hilarious scene where <laughs> it turns out it's just Roman and Tej, and we they come, come in out peace. Saying, yeah, Roman's flashing the heart sign. Shout out to Roman Pierce, my favorite Fast and Furious no, character. He's doing a shout out to Taylor Swift from that one video, right? Didn't she? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, he, big Taylor fan. Roman Pierce, noted noted Taylor Swift stan. And, uh, of course, because things can't stay peaceful for long, Tej and Roman have uh, a bit of news for Dom and Letty. Uh, they have this tablet with them. Mr. Nobody, Kurt Russell himself. Uh, says he's been taken down by a rogue agent, and uh, yeah, it's if they don't stop this person, things are going to be really, really nasty. It's not just any tablet, Mike. It is a Dell rugged tablet. I had to review once, and it's the most nobody should know about this tablet existing. But it also shows up in freaking Black Widow. Like these studios it's, all buy the same the generic, rugged tablet. Yeah, it's the generic secret agent but, hacker soldier yeah welcome david to the stream um dj masson himself um but yeah no it's the same tablet and it seems like everybody's all in on the same like we've got to stop them except dom says we're not on call anymore letty's just sort of like what we're we're gonna go and dom's like we're out but letty's not out is she no yeah letty is like this isn't who we are uh, you know, Dom tries to say, hey, this Brian and Brian and Mia did this. They settled down. They got out for parenthood. Letty's like, that's not us. And uh, 
you know, so they all they all initially, you know, Dom initially planned to stay home. And just looking through your notes here, Henry, I believe the uh, <laughs> he's, he he notices something in the video that changes his mind. He uh, sees... It turns out. Yeah. It turns out that secret agent, whoever it is, that rogue agent has the same Toretto cross pendant that Dom always wears. Uh, very peculiar. Perhaps it, the secret agent has a connection to it, Dom. It could just be a generic and, cross pendant, but I call it a Toretto cross because that's what I see. Like, And I'm going to share my show notes with y'all after this is over because I just, the second time I saw it, I brought a little notebook. I filled it up with notes and I transcribed them. So like, you'll see my way my brain sort of tried to do, filter through this. But Adam, you were about to say? The way the way that he sees that pendant is the most like typical movie like enhancing, enhance, Enhanced. and then there's this little pendant like behind him on the shelf, and it's like, oh my god, it it this movie plays with all the tropes properly, and then Dom gets in a car and drives right to the plane without giving any exposition for who's looking after Brian. Um, yes, we are. We'll find out. Yeah, um, <laughs> most uh, real real ones already know. Uh, those who forget will be sort of like, huh, about it later. But um, flash forward to Montecchino, where Roman is driving a big military truck, and Tej and Ramsey are just sort of giving him shit, saying he's overcompensating for something. Yeah, they're very quick yeah. to, uh, very quick to get back to the wisecracking, the the family dynamics that we love from Fast and Furious. This is where it all kicks in. The band is back together. Uh, Tej and Roman. Always giving each other crap, uh, and yeah, things things pop off pretty quickly here. Uh, I feel like a few minutes into this scene, there's already kind of a bit of a shootout uh, going after whoever these these people are. Um, um, it all happens when Ramsey, who is sort of like the smart one of the, like the computer yes. savvy one, cracks the with like a tap with her own tablet. She cracks the software encrypting a hatch, and she gets what looks like. Um, those weird YouTuber lights, those penta, uh, those hexagons. Yes, it's like yep. it's the goth version of that, but it's like an agro crag dome thing. And yep. so they get that, Spherical, and then semi, yeah. yeah, it's 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 like a dome, a half dome. And Letty throws it in her motorcycle, takes off, and then Dom is like, "Be careful!" And Letty goes, "Careful is for when you get hurt." And Hell that yeah. is the moment when Some I thought Letty say... was in danger. Some would say that Ramsey is the master of unlocking. <laughs> I, I would absolutely agree with that. And she does not become a Jill sandwich at any time in the film. No. Although she comes close, as we'll get to later on when she has to drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this is, uh, we get to like, right off the bat, we start getting just ridiculous Fast and Furious set pieces where you know just the producers were in a room throwing darts at a wall because we get the, the minefield uh, set piece. Which the sign I think believe I says peligro minas, which they don't know, you know. Well, Roman doesn't know what it means. Everybody yeah. else knows. Yeah, Ro- Roman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's the first moment in the movie where you get Roman just being peak Roman, and it's mm-hmm. great. And it's like when he says it two times, it's like hilarious. And then he says it like three or four times. It's like I'm kind of amazed that they're still hanging on this joke for so long, but it's Roman, so it's fine. <laughs> I've been that person, or, like, we've all known that person who asks the same one-word question mark after it over and over again. Um, I've been there, so I, I... But, like, I have to say, 
this movie re reinforced all my belief that Tyrese is the unsung hero of the series in terms of like getting the worst dialogue and sort of making it work. And like, he's also, I mean, he's the vessel for us because he is just acknowledging all the absurdity that's happening, which will, yeah. will continue to come up throughout this this episode. But uh, yeah, I, I thought this was a fun set piece to kick things off. They were like, listen, you, we're going to put our feet to the floor and pray. We're just going to outdrive this minefield. We're going to drive so says, fast yeah. that the mines won't blow us up. Tej says you have to drive 80 miles an hour. And Roman looks at his speedometer and goes, my car only goes to 70. <laughs> it's like, okay pray um yeah and then it's a big chase and i think Le i kept thinking letty was gonna die because she's driving mm -hmm. through this on a motorcycle in a minefield she's on a motorcycle yeah like but is this the scene where letty at one point uh gets blown up but she lands on dom's car so she's okay am i getting too ahead here i think that's later on i think, I think that happened. yeah oh it might have it could have it I just love the constant logic. That's like throughout the entire series. Like, no matter how high you're falling from, as long as you land on a car and not the street, you're okay. Later on in this movie, I don't think it's here yeah. because she loses she loses her motorcycle here uh, on purpose uh, because yes. of someone that they run into. So yeah. also That's somebody right. jumps onto the back of her motorcycle and she swings it in such a way through the other person gets bashed into a tree. Mm -hmm. Like the this is what George Lucas was trying to do when uh, in the the Endor speeder bike scene in Return of the Jedi. Like they finally Justin Lin finally perfected that concept. But then did anyone like briefly think that they they weren't watching a Fast and Furious movie anymore, and this was now Uncharted? Because that's just what was going through <laughs> my mind. It, it had just so, such Uncharted vibes. This intro wasn't yeah. This this first scene was incredibly Uncharted. Um, yeah. I thought it was fun though. We get some again so much great Roman stuff here. Uh, there's a scene where he's like trying to talk smack to all the enemies like you, you think i'm scared and then he immediately starts running but he eventually shoots his way out um then there's another there's the part where uh roman's truck is on fire i believe he says my ass is en fuego <laughs> uh and then his car i think his truck blows up he, well kinda, it's staged. his truck is well, dangling it's stuck between two sort of craters and it's yeah. sort of like lodged yeah. and he looks down he's a mine right below so if he mm -hmm. falls out, his ass is done. Uh, yeah. Not just in Fuego. So he crawls out, gets out, falls down right on top near the mine, and then go, gets away, scurries, and then the truck just falls down and blows up on the mine. And Tej and Ramsey are just like, mourning almost for like a minute, like a, sorry, a moment and a half. Yeah. Till Roman just walks out behind the exploded car remains and mumbles and Tej and Ramsey are like, what just happened? Yep. Uh, Roman, but yeah, just, Roman yeah, takes ahead, so much abuse. Roman takes so much abuse in this first scene. Like he takes, he takes so much abuse that like he gets a pass for the rest of the movie. Like, like I, I don't I don't want to see Roman be scared for the rest of the movie. I mean, there are points where he is, but but definitely he has the most to deal with there. Protect Tyrese. Uh, especially when he's like in that hole just shoot shooting at everybody. Like Yep. Yeah. And it's but before that happened, we saw um well, we saw who we know is from all the materials and all the hype for the movie. We saw from behind John Cena with the little cross over his shoulder. Looking down over everybody. He's the puppet master of all this. 
And so how do we rate this, Henry? Because we generally like to talk about how 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 well done the John Cena introduction scene is, which I guess we'll count this as. Yeah, no, no. Technically, says the tablet. This is really where we we see him in the flesh. Okay, so we throw out the the trope of John Cena starting a movie getting fired. There's nothing about yeah. that here. Um, you would, if anything, he's got a pretty sweet new job. Yeah. Um, we throw out the trope of John Cena's life being revolving around somebody being horny. That's not happening here. I well, yet yeah, kind of. Um, but I think this is a pretty good. But it's a complete reversal of the entire history of Cenophiles because of the for the first time, John Cena's turned heel. John Cena is evil in F nine, at least for now. Um, yeah. Because nothing lasts forever. Um, but after Tej, after Mike, how do you rank it though? I didn't really. I I sort of gave a non-answer. What do well, you think about this? Yeah, I mean, there's not a ton to go off. I mean, it's like, you know. We we get a, it's almost like a little tease. We're like, okay, here we go. Here's here's grown up Jacob. Jacob, he's the secret agent. You know, we get we see him grab the device. He, I will say, I think it does get some points for making an entrance, or should I say, exit the way that he drives off the cliff and gets picked up by the plane via magnets, which magnets play a huge role in this movie. We'll talk about that. So from an action perspective, it was fun. You know, we don't really learn much about him as a character yet. Uh, but it's like, okay, so he's a badass secret agent, and he is the villain of this film. It was fine. Yeah, and also this is where there's a stare down between Jacob and uh, Dom, and they lock eyes, because locking eyes is something that John Cena has done in movies before. Mm -hmm. um, and then this is where we have two more big, giant car set pieces. Mm. And Adam, on a scale of one to bullshit, where one is believable and bullshit is, no, that's impossible— um, are the things that Roman Tej and Ramsey's car and then Dom and Letty's car less realistic than a car being picked up in midair by a plane and magnetized? Are, are you saying driving driving on the, the broken wooden bridge? Is that, is that what we're the talking about The broken wooden bridge, it's basically like a Mario level where the uh, tiles, yeah. the, the little um, donut-shaped things fall from underneath you. But also, yep. when Dom basically grappling hooks a car from one ledge to another. Yes. Yeah. Like, how do you, what do you think about Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, what actually struck me as the most ridiculous thing there was the driving on the bridge. Because I don't know how that would support a free, a free flowing, just, just rope together thing of wood is going to support the car driving up it. But, um... The grappling hook was cool. Honestly, my, my friend made a really good point as we were watching this movie. This movie is really just, it's just cause. Like, just mm. full stop. The things that they do with magnets and grappling hooks in this movie, it's it's literally like, it's the blueprint for an next just cause game. That's a good point. Interesting. This was also like, this was one of the first scenes, if I remember, in the theater where the audience was just cheering and laughing. It's like, here we go. This is Fast and Furious. We're having a big, dumb, fun time. And uh, it's the kind of set piece I, I come to these movies for. So I, I really, I did love the grappling hook for how absurd it was. Because um, with F5, yeah. we had to wait a while. But we didn't have to wait at all. Like, F5 immediately jumps to the set piece. We had to wait yeah. through, like, the flashback and the emotional. Mm-hmm. This is different. I mean, this movie is a saga. It's the fast saga. Yeah. They had to take us through through all of time. But the crew, you know, so, so John Cena escapes with the device. Uh, they... Luckily, the gang escapes. We get uh, Michael Stasiak comes back uh, to help them, you know, kind of stay clear. 
uh, clear clear their names, keep, keep them out of trouble, which was a fun throwback. I love that his nose is still messed up for the many times that, that Brian has just beat his ass. Uh, but yeah, so then they get to talking about what happened on the plane. And Roman is yeah, very like, much not happy with all this surprise. Yeah, because yeah, it turns out I, I think Dom reveals that that Jacob is his brother, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, you got a brother who also does this kind of thing." And he's Roman, you know, Roman's like, "Who does that kind of thing?" And then Tesh goes, "A Toretto." So yes, there is another freewheeling, incredibly skilled driver slash secret agent slash incredibly jack dude that can do cool things with cars and it's jacob toretto and they have to stop him from uh you know basically ending the world with this very powerful device and yeah we sort of learn more about that later on but now time for another flashback um as uh we're back at the racetrack and the guy who ran jack toretto off the road is mourning uh jack's death and when jacob walks up and he goes oh you're the useless one right and so we get sort of a confirmation that there is sort of like the goofus and gallant nature of where like Dom was the golden child. And, but so Dom interrupts to like, get away from my brother. He goes, this guy goes, what is it with you Toretto's? You're all the heroes in your own stories. And I'm like, well, yeah, this is, that's, this is what Fast and Furious movies are, bro. Um, but this guy keeps saying all the worst things. And he says, at least I'm alive to it, to Dom, which, gets a beating with a wrench that almost yeah, maybe so, killed the guy yeah we finally get to see because this scene has been alluded to i think ever since fast one uh where where dom talks about that, that great garage scene with brian where he talks about you know nearly beating a man to, to within an inch of his life with a wrench now we get to see why that happened how it happened and uh i think that's when dom goes to jail and you know jacob uh jacob watches it watches his brother get taken away Let's just go over a second here that Mike doesn't know that because he, I mean, he might be Mr. Wikipedia, but he's not really pulling that information out of his, like, Wikipedia depth. Mike, how many Fast and Furious movies did you watch in how many days? Because you have uh, all this very fresh in your mind. I want yes, to talk about so that. So I, I had a very unique, yeah, I'm glad this is a good time to talk about this. I had a very unique Fast and Furious <laughs> experience where I basically watched the entire franchise in the week leading up to F9. So I watched everything but Hobbs and Shaw in about a week. So that's like eight movies, um, which I'm really glad I did because the fast films are as absurd as they are. They're really good at rewarding you for sticking with the series. Every movie calls back <laughs> every other movie in the franchise. And one of my favorite callbacks is coming up soon. But it was a re I'm really glad I watched the series in such a short amount of time because, man, the callbacks are copious uh, and they're a lot of fun. And before we, we get we get another familiar face because back at Jacob's lair or his like Air Force base that he's like taken over, we meet his partner, this sort of tiny Euro trash dude who belongs on some executive team somewhere in media. His name is Otto, and he's very much uh, I don't know, sniveling like, little boy. He looks like Willem Dafoe's precocious, annoying son. I like that. Yes. the way I describe. I, I'm, I'm with that. Yeah, but yeah. they've kidnapped Cipher, aka Charlie's Theron, out from Mister Nobody, and Otto introduces himself to the audience as your token horny guy by saying, "I'm creeped out and sort of turned on at the same time." Is that weird to um, Jacob? And Jacob doesn't really acknowledge that statement because Jacob is a serious man. Um, no, no, no connection to the uh, Coen Brothers movie, but um, Cipher 
talks with him, and she knows all about the the uh, Toretto history, almost to a very um, it, it's kind of weird the kind of stuff that Cipher has to say about the Toretto bloodline here. Mike. This was a very, it's a very weird line. Yeah, I didn't like this line. I don't know why. I just didn't like it. was it the Nordic part? Not just that. I was, yeah, I was gonna let I was gonna let one of you guys take it away, but Mike. I know. I just yeah. I love what she says. Your chin—it's so distinctive. Because listen, it's John Cena. It really is. That thing is chiseled out of stone. Some would say Cena stone. But like, That's she's bringing up. Yes, it's a callback to the Flintstones movie. But here, the thing is, as much as I think it's awkward and cringe what she says, this brings up the entire conversation that came up when John Cena was cast as Vin Diesel's brother. They right. Don't look alike. Like I've I've seen like I think Vulture had a very long article comparing like the physical features of both of mm-hmm. them on a scale of like one to five nitrous tanks or something. It um, somehow works for me. Yeah, it does. Like there's a lot of things that don't add up, but it's like yeah, they're just I feel like they're cut from the same cloth of just jacked Hollywood men. But and I'm I'm a, I'm willing to. But Cipher to says it. I knew the truth had a mixed bloodline, which I think is the line that was sort of. Yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah, but then she says a Nordic strain, and it, like, lingers on that for a second. I'm like, okay. Almost I mean, as if look, that's something that's supposed John to Cena. pay off later. Yeah. Well, that's the question. Who is <laughs> the thing about John mother? Cena is, like, obviously a dude in peak physical condition, but I've never seen anyone work out their face. I mean, he's got, like, he's got, like, facial muscles that I didn't know existed on humans. <laughs> His jaw is stronger than, like, probably any part of my body. Yeah, same. Um, it's just, yeah. I think he was just born with that, that head. Yep. Um, West Newbury, Massachusetts. Um, yep. It's is supposedly where he's billed from. But this is a thing. I just think we're going to later find out where the, the they have a Nordic mom or something. Like, I yes. I feel like the, the, the Toretto mother is the last shoe to drop in terms of like is mama toretto like the thanos of this franchise is she gonna ultimately be the big bad or she's the captain marvel of this franchise is my opinion Ooh, i like that sweeping in to save yeah. the day yeah like i think that nothing nobody will be able to be smart enough because yeah but we're back mama in Mich- toretto the inventor of the car yeah no, she invented the car uh and nitrous um she combined them to make the infinity gauntlet of fast movies um Speaking of um, family, we are in the lair of the Fast Crew, and this is Mr. Nobody's old secret hideout, and for some reason, there are magnets everywhere in this. Like, how did the... This is my big question here. We we know that Otto and Jacob are obsessed with magnets, and they're using it everywhere, but why does this lair now have also a ton of magnets in it? Well, well, did they already have the magnets at this point? Because I think what they it is, is they yeah. get that truck. Okay, they get the truck. Okay. Yeah, and then the truck, they take the magnets out of the truck. That that moment where you get the truck, which I won't jump ahead, but that is like probably the most important moment in the scene that you don't even realize is important until you watch the rest of the movie. Point taken. <laughs> anyway. Yep. Um, but Dom's trying to take this all... Dom's trying to shield the burden on himself because it's like, no, he's my brother. I'm going to take care of him. Roman Tesh are like, nah, we're, we're not leaving. This is, we're, we're, we're family. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then uh, Roman, Roman goes full Roman. Mike, you want to talk about yes, Roman I, going full One of my favorite, of course. I always take an opportunity to talk about my favorite character, Roman Pierce. This is where Roman has the incredible speech where he's like, you know, 
we've survived so much ridiculous stuff and you never think about it uh he's like he's like those are you know they talk about how their their clothes never wrinkle they never even really get it get a scratch and he's like i'm not even gonna mention the submarine and he's like do you guys think we're invincible um and it was just it was so funny because that's the moment where it was so in character for roman and that's why i always say like roman has always been but especially in this film like he is just the vessel for us us viewers he's like yeah this is absurd how do we survive all this stuff not even not even take a bullet not even take a scratch not even have our clothes get messed up uh it's very very funny and uh and then tej of course is giving him shit for it well no he I he, think he lingers on it for a second he goes maybe yeah. we are no maybe you're just a dumbass yeah <laughs> which i love of course but i love that dynamic between them two as always um and then we get the first of our kind of um, reunions because Mia shows up. Mia Toretto, who has who skipped Fast Eight, uh, and she's been you know obviously raising raising her child, who I believe is named Jack, or one of them is you know she's raising her kids with Brian, um, and you know she comes to the crew and and the reason she gets involved obviously is this is a family affair. Uh, she tells Dom you know you should have told me about this. What the hell? Uh, we get a nice little mention that that baby brian is in the safe hands of brian o'connor which i love that you know they kind of keep brian in universe uh it's really wholesome uh so one thing you know, i Brian's... love about the one thing i love about the way that that's revealed is uh she says you know our kids are in the safest hands and then they need to have letty come from like almost off screen and say brian's like yeah. just make it abundantly <laughs> clear which like i mean honestly for me I completely forgot yeah. that that the Brian character was still alive in the movies. I because I, I I've only seen a couple of them. It's, uh, so I mean it was a good reminder for me. I'm the reason why she says that, but I also thought it was just funny they had to make it so obvious. Well, yep. here's the thing: like the Brian death is the weirdest. I think modern storytelling, like like it's the kind of thing that makes. I I think this is a better. Like, I think Black Widow is kind... This is a better Marvel movie than Black Widow is. But, like, mm. I don't think Marvel is... They're gonna... They don't really... Like, I don't think Black Panther 2 is gonna have T'Challa raising a child in a different country. Like, I think they're gonna I, have to... They're gonna handle theirs in a, a little less, like, A little weird, more directly. Yeah, a little more directly. A little... Yeah. Uh, uh, they're gonna involve kayfabe a little better... But like but I think they did a good job not to get too uh not to swerve off road too much. Yep, yep. <laughs> but uh I think they did a good job you know writing off Brian and Seven in a way where like yeah it makes sense that he's just going to be in the background. They they could still reference him and this is far from the last Brian reference in this film. But yeah, so we so Mia's back because obviously Jacob's involved. Uh and then we kind of get the explanation of the big MacGuffin of the film. It turns out that that device was one half of something called Project Ares. And if both halves are put together, you could basically reboot the entire world and control every single part of it. It's your just your very typical sci-fi MacGuffin uh, hacker type thing. And it turns out that uh, I think Tej is the one that reveals that uh, Han has a connection to this device uh, because he has a connection to Mr. Nobody. So things just got a little bit juicier there. But there's something called – you don't just need both halves. You need the key. The key is yes. what's required to make both halves work. Um, where the other half is, we don't really know right now, at least not to my recollection. And then – but we go back to their flashback because in prison, Dom met Leo and Santos, who 
are in prison because of systemic racism and the fact mm-hmm. that they robbed a bank. Um, the two things sort of go hand in hand with getting arrested. Um, right, right. And they explained to Dom, because Dom's, what does a Toretto do in prison? Work on a car. And they warn him that he's about to create a hairline crack in the engine, which is something that is used to throw races, to which Dom immediately flashes back to, wait, did Jacob sabotage dad's car? And he instantly figures it out. And Adam, I... And there are certain times when I rely on people to, like, does this sound at all feasible or realistic? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how you're going to create that. Like, because I'm thinking of Jacob in that scenario. Yeah. He's got 20, 25 seconds to, like, do this thing while the hood is up. And you just see, like, when Jacob does it, you just see his hands kind of go in there. You don't see what he's doing. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, you know, in a movie with a lot of not believable things, that that certainly ranks among them. <laughs> I just had to, because it's just, like, they love cars so much in this movie, and, like, they just, cars are their superpower. If these are Marvel characters, their ability to do things with cars and later on magnets are their true powers. But um, we're now back to Dom getting out of jail, and it's sort of like a world's reverse situation of when Brian met Dom. Dom was the cool one who was in charge of everything. Now, Jacob is the dude in the street racing scene. But Dom shows up with Vince, who we remember from Fast, Fast, the first and fifth Fast and Furious movies. And Dom proposes a basically a loser leaves town race, Mike. And it was, yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, this was all just very funny. Also, I want to shout out this movie for... Um... They cast a really good young Vince because you just knew right away that that was him, and it instantly put us back in that world. Um, yeah, oh, I thought it was the same hilarious. guy. I thought that was the actual same guy. I, I I feel like it was a different actor that was just really well cast. Okay, I don't know because we were still using the other young actors. Either way, shout outs to uh, to the casting team there. But yeah, Dom is basically like, if you beat me, you get to stay stay with the family. <laughs> if I win, you have to leave town. You know, a typical typical uh race between brothers happens all the time uh and yeah so they have their race jacob pulls ahead thinking he's gonna win he uses his nos but it turns out he uh, pulled that a little too early and we know that because dom says too early uh <laughs> you know the, the younger benicio del toro dom and so you know jacob spins out dom's able to pull ahead and then so dom wins jacob uh, fully ashamed just keeps driving and he's gone and uh yeah, and then that's when, you know, it, it, somewhere, I don't know if it's, like, talked about here, but, yeah, it's, now Dom is convinced that it's Jacob's fault that their father is dead, and he's like, hey, well, you're out of the family now, and that's kind of that. And then we're we're back to, uh, we get reintroduced to good old Michael Rooker in the present day. They're sharing a corona, talking about what happened. Um, you know, obviously Dom wants help finding Jacob, but he doesn't really want to do that. <laughs> and uh i think what was it uh someone says uh you never take family from a toretto uh yeah. buddy yeah. buddy michael rooker's character who has the most generic of names because i guess it yes. was, was the name on his like lapel patch tells yes you never you took family from a toretto you never do that but he reveals the jacobs in london and but buddy just wants them to find peace to which dom says 
the chance for peace died that day on the track. And then we're off to Tokyo because um, there was a postcard that Dom gave to Letty and Mia. It's it's when Han died. He he had gotten this postcard from him. So I guess to track out information on Hanlu, they send them off to I, Tokyo. I, I think what it was, I think what it was, they looked at that postcard and they said to themselves, "When you see it and you mean it, then you know you have to go." And then they went to Tokyo. Hell yeah! I love that song so much. Anyway, continue. <laughs> no, this was uh, this. That's exactly what propelled them. Uh, to visit so so letty and Mia are over in tokyo they're kind of catching up over uh i believe some sushi or or something some sort of delicious it's ramen Japanese. i believe they're at some like ramen, an outdoor yeah, delicious... um, they're at like an outdoor like little like yep diner like um bark's table basically and... yeah the ra- <laughs> the ramen looked really good but uh <laughs> so yeah they're they're just kind of catching up you know mia mia admits that she still talks to jacob letty's talking about just they're both talking about adjusting to motherhood and how they, they kind of just miss, they feel safer in just the chaos of robbing things and driving cars that blow up. <laughs> and there's just the most hilarious connect the dots moment because, you know, they, they mentioned how Han always referred to Tokyo as his, as his Mexico his his kind of golden goose. And what do you know it? There is a Mexican flag just sitting right next to that, <laughs> right next to that ramen shop. So Clearly, there's some kind of connection, and they need to go further investigate this. Layer David, and yeah, of all the gin joints, all the ramen shops in the world, they walked next door to mine. Um, it was a moment. But then we jump over to Germany, because Han had, no, sorry, Dom, Dom had sent, um, I guess, Hedge and Roman off to get cars. He knows some guys mm. in Germany. And Mike... How excited were you about this, Adam? Or this? You both are Tokyo Drift boys, if I remember correctly. I haven't seen the movie, so I actually oh. didn't know the significance of these. Okay. So this was, so yeah, so this out, was, was my, like, yeah. yeah, this was probably my, my biggest pop of the movie, where I really just, again, I have the recency bias of having watched all the films. So, and I was not expecting there to be such a payoff, you know, for, for I was not expecting the entire Tokyo Drift cast to return, basically. The, the main, you know, the main crew uh sean boswell twinkie of course bow wow um and earl earl who uh and i was just i was just so happy again it was one of those things where i was so glad i watched the entire franchise didn't skip anything because even tokyo drift gets an even more important role beyond just you know han and the way they continue to fold him in but the fact that they brought back freaking sean boswell the most generic protagonist but they made him into this goofy you know, in his in, later in his life, this goofy uh, rocket scientist. Because yeah, it turns out the Tokyo Drift crew—they're just rocket scientists now, and they're working on mm-hmm. all this crazy stuff. They're working on all these ways to send cars to space. Because <laughs> uh, why not any car, but a Pontiac Fiero? And yeah, it's they show up, and Tej and Roman are like sort of incredulous, just about Bow Wow, aka Twinkie's name, Twinkie, and Twinkie doesn't go with that name anymore, but. So Roman goes, oh, you must be Ding Dong and Snowball. Like, it's just like they are really poking fun at the own the history of this series. And but yeah. yeah, there's a car that they are using a tablet to remote control that controls a Pontiac. Does anybody have any idea why a Pontiac Fiera was the choice for this? I I think it's just 
something weird that almost has like a cyberpunk quality to it. Because the thing about the Pontiac Fiero, without getting too into it, is just the nature of it is a weird car. Like in the in the eighties, GM decided they were going to build a mid-engine sports car when like that's not something that American companies did. And it's like a forgotten about car basically at this point. But it was sort of cool. So it's like, yeah, I guess if we're gonna do something. We'll just strap a, 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 a turbine, you know, a, a space shell engine on the back of that and thrusters, and you know, may as well be a Pontiac Fiero. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Like, it just, it, like, there's an anachronism of, like, okay, I, if yeah. we're going to put a rocket engine on a car, we have to put it on the most, like, but the, the car doesn't explode when they chase it down the, they shoot it down, they don't, they don't beat, they, they're trying to race a rocket ship, right? Yes. But they're like, I didn't well, they explode. have, I think there's a jet yeah. or something, yeah. right, that they're racing. Yeah, and then they lose the race, and then... And then they're wondering, uh, Tej and Roman are wondering, like, why are you guys celebrating? You lost. And then Henry? Uh, they're like, <laughs> it didn't explode. That's why we won. But it explodes. <laughs> yeah. Almost immediately. Um, and then, yeah, then they reveal that Dom sent them. So they're like, oh, okay, that's why you guys are here. We need cars. Uh, we'll give you cars that yes. Dom sent you. Yeah, of course. You Anything for a Toretto, right? Uh, so speaking of Dom, Dom had a oh, brief, sorry, he did have a brief role at the end of Tokyo Drift. Like, why yes. would these people know Dom? Oh, because at the very, like the well, chase, one of them doesn't. Yeah. Right. One, one of them of those doesn't. Three guys doesn't know who yeah. Dom is, but yeah. Dom so. introduced himself as a friend of Hans, I think at the end yeah. of no, Dom, Tokyo Dom Drift. Dom shows up at the end of Tokyo Drift. I believe, yeah, at the end of Tokyo Drift, uh, introduces himself to Sean. And then we also get a catch up scene between, Dom and Sean later in the franchise uh, might have been six or seven, just them catching up over a beer, talking about uh, you know what happened to Han. Because of course the timelines are all crazy. Tokyo Drift actually wasn't that long ago, despite <laughs> being the third movie in in the franchise. Anyway, not to digress, we're gonna take a take a drive over to London for one of the most fun scenes of the film because Helen Mirren is back. Thank goodness. The matriarch of the Shaw family, of course, mother of uh, Owen Shaw and uh, uh, forget the other Shaw, Jason Statham, of course. And yeah, she's uh, she's pulling off. I think she's like robbing it, robbing a jewelry store as Helen Mirren does. Dom's waiting for her. So there he's kind of catching her up on what's going on. And uh, yeah, she reveals that uh, there's a I forgot the connection here. Who's who's Queenie, Jacob? I mean, sorry, Henry, who's Queenie? No, that's her other name. That's, like, one of the names for okay. Helen Mirren's character. Uh, yeah. It's just, like, that's one of her nicknames, I guess. I I think that's just a, oh, aren't all British women of a certain age the Queen of England joke? Yes. I believe that's the riff. Um, Helen Mirren should be the Queen of England, but... I, I mean... Yeah, I think, I think there will be a lot of agreement with that, yeah. Yeah, I think even the people who don't like say, royalty um, would say that, yeah. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Dom kind of shows up behind her as she's like, you know, lifting that that necklace or whatever, and just kind of stands over her shoulder. And I swear to God, was going through my head is like, are they gonna fuck? Because like the oh. energy between them was so like, like a... I mean, if that happens, this movie just got like forty times better. Yeah, like... there was. I think there was, and I oh god, and uh, the chemistry between Vin Diesel and Helen Mirren is so good. Uh, even since the the uh, it started a bit in eight, but especially in this one, I think there's a whole. Someone wrote a whole article of like why why been, why they should have kissed in that scene, uh, but they're mm -hmm. so adorable well, together. Like they're 
they're they're casually talking about you know this the you know this the bigger picture stuff with Jacob as they're like evading the police and Helen Mirren is just you know driving like a badass and um it's it's really sweet it's a lot of fun i don't know i think helen mirren wants to make out with vin diesel i think she said that uh like i think she said that they should have had a kissing scene um like yeah yeah uh helen mirren would love to kiss vin diesel in fast 10 is the headline at collider which yeah same um i think letty would have a problem with that they do that best best movie of all time yeah yeah, please. Fingers crossed. F ten. Make it happen. <laughs> but But we yeah, we get we get to uh we get to Jacob's mansion where there's just a big well, party. Before we of, get there, yeah. Adam, we were talking about this to pu- peel back the curtain here. Yes. This car was the actually the first O moment in terms of cool cars for yeah, this movie, so, correct? So it was interesting. So the car the car that Queenie is driving is a Noble M600, which is a, a supercar made by a small British company called Noble, which to my knowledge isn't really active anymore. But they were uh, definitely in the 2000s and maybe the early 2010s. And it's an interesting pick because that's just not a car you see anymore, and it's also pretty rare. And I'll come back to this later because I don't want to, you know, derail the podcast right now or the the stream right now. But Fast and the Furious has some really interesting throughout the series car choices. Uh, even in like five, when they started doing the heist thing, there were some picks there that were just like really unique that I would never have expected. This movie didn't really have that, which was kind of disappointing for me. But that Noble was was very noteworthy and was not something I was expecting to see. So that was pretty cool. So after that. Like, they, they have this race, and Queenie is just talking to him, like, because uh, Dom's like, I hear there's some big money in town trying to make some big deals. And she goes, yeah, no, I, and she's a terrible liar. She accidentally reveals that she made an arms deal with these guys. And she goes, big fellow jacked like you. He's not your cousin, is he? And then it turns out. Dom goes, yep. He's my brother. Uh oh, but because qu- Queenie and was... that's the first time that Helen Mirren has like a moment where she's like, you see surprise, like genuine surprise, and like, oh shit, on her face. This <laughs> is pretty funny. Yeah, no, she really sells it all really well, and we find out here that um, she's actually been paid off to deliver Dom as well, because they're on route to Otto and Jacob's mansion. Um, because Otto is the son of some rich, um. Euro trash edgelord probably and excuse me um but then we wrote we drive up to this uh big mansion and if you squint closely you can see that cardi b is one of three well-dressed women walking on the stairs but then jump cut to dom and jacob and mike we have a little more of the family drama yeah we get their first real confrontation in the present day um and, you know, Jacob's like, I'm going to, you know, I'll give you the same deal you gave me. You could leave now. And then Dom's like, that's not a, like a deal. I like I showed you mercy. You know, you should have suffered worse for, for what you did to dad. And here's where, you know, this was interesting. This is the first time we're really seeing John Cena uh, really act as Jacob. And his this character is interesting to me because even though this is John Cena's first role as an antagonist, like he's just John Cena. I feel like he's just being himself. He's there's even like a bit of charm and and lightness to his character. He just happens to be a secret agent that's on the team with the bad guys. So I wasn't particularly intimidated by him at this point in the film, but you know, we get a good bit of family tension with them. And then of course, 
Dom pulls a gun on Jacob, and what we think is Interpol arrests him for pulling a gun on, so on sovereign soil, because you can't do that. Uh, and then, yeah, as Henry so perfectly pointed out, as though it's the menacing GTA-style glare, where I, I just the, the charming John Cena smile, but because he's a bad guy, there's a little more... A little more menace to it, but uh, with that little cutscene moment, like the like the yes. still stylized drawing moment. Yes, but in a very uh, much like the Maria Hill scene in Winter Soldier, it turns out that this is not Interpol that took Dom away. It was a uh, Cardi B, and as Henry says, her bad bitch army. Uh, there's some, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it turns out they go back. Um, and I, well, I forget the, the exchange here. Basically, it was just one of those. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. so she says, she says like, oh, when we were stealing gas, which is the, isn't that like the way that like the fifth one starts or something like that? Like, oh, oh it, it definitely yeah. does. I was, cause I was reading about this a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen those, some of those movies, but yeah. No, that's, but they have right, like, a, they have ties to the past and like Dom, helped her career or something when she was off stealing gas somewhere, I guess. And that, yeah, I need to do a little digging. Welcome to Jolene. Um, hope you're doing well today. It's, it's, it's been a hell of a week. I'm so sorry. Um, and again, I didn't say it earlier, but Liam, thank you for the bits. Um, but yes, uh, Lisa Cardi B's character, um, who will be is in, um, Lisa is in this movie because I didn't want to reveal this to the rest of the hosts uh, before the stream, but uh, Vin Diesel's daughter told him, you should put Cardi B in this movie. And that's why <laughs> Cardi B is in this movie. Um, I mean, do you really need another reason? The I children are our future. Is a, the is children... a smart, yep. smart person. Uh, really yeah. good casting. Like, I, I'm really curious to see where the casting direction goes from this movie. They've really done some smart stuff here. But... Um, Lisa has taken, I guess, a part of the whole, we are in her poll, we need evidence. She has Jacob's gun, which has his biometrics, which they can then use to track him, because that's how, um, fingerprints work. Um, cut nice. to Tokyo, where Letty and Mia are investigating Han's apartment, where, uh-oh, noise is rumbling, and a woman, um, who we later learn is named L, jumps in, knows they're Letty and Mia, and helps them kick ass and, like, kick take names. They don't take names, though. But this is basically what um, Kevin Feige was trying to do in the Avengers Endgame when all the female Avengers, like, helped Spider-Man uh, take the Infinity Gauntlet away. But it's better because they're not babysitting some idiot kid who only thinks about movies from, like, 1999 and on. Um, but then everything's about to go wrong. But then, bam! Sniper shots from the distance. Oh um, yeah, and yeah, th this is one of the one of the best theater moments of this film because we all knew it was coming. But yeah, you see a shadowy figure snipe snipe the bad guys just in time to, to to save our heroes. And who is it? None other than Han. He's alive. He's back. Mia can't believe it. Uh, Letty doesn't look quite as shocked because she's you know she she came back from the dead too. She knows what it's like <laughs> to come back from the dead. But yeah, Han is back and. Uh, and then we are, and then we cut back to London for, and, uh, for some more fun. Yeah, Roman is continuing to get the best dialogue because he's really confused. He, it's like we're looking for where's Waldo in Harry Potter world. I see two women with George Washington's wigs on, 
I don't know why I'm talking with Roman's voice like he's like Jesus and Mero's like third third cousin, but like I wanted him to say I'm walking here. Um, yeah. But then they walk <laughs> up to a truck, and Tej's um, necklace, his um, his jewelry magnetizes off of himself and onto the truck, to which Roman can't stop giggling about. He goes, oh, your silver is really magnetic. That, you know, it's not silver, right? And yeah. then it turns out they have found, they have happened upon this giant truck that is filled with magnets, which they're pretty sure has to have some connection to everything that's going wrong. Right, Mike? Yeah, they do. And then they, they, <laughs> they realize that those... The, the those delivery men that are coming out of that truck don't look like your typical delivery men. They're probably bad guys. So there's a fun fun scene where they just basically beat them up and get inside the mag the magnet truck, which will become one of the most important parts of the film. Because if there's one thing we know about F9, this movie loves its magnets. Um, so while all this is happening, we we realize that Cena's not driving around London. He's rappelling around it uh, using this his unique little his unique little rappel gun. So he's kind of slickly getting around. It's like a grappling hook rocket launcher, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's literally what it is. So they're trying to catch up with him. Uh, I believe now Tej, Roman and Ramsey are in the magnet truck and, Oh, it turns out Ramsey doesn't know how to drive, but she um, has to drive <laughs> because Ro uh, Roman and Tej are fighting off goons in the back of the truck. Yeah. So it's on her to be the one who actually, you know, and so that's and, where you want to yeah, learn her, how to drive her, in England. Her lack of driving skill is is perfect for that moment because you know the guys are having the fight in the back and every time she swerves or doesn't know how to drive or does something that she shouldn't be doing, it just like forces somebody to lose their gun or hit hit the side of the wall or the inside of the truck. And then the uh, the control dial for the power of the electromagnets is right next to like the gear lever and everything. So she keeps hitting that, which keeps like wreaking havoc around the entire world and, and London. So um, yeah, her, her lack of uh, prior uh, driving experience is actually really handy in that moment. You know, we all have a purpose. Um, uh, one of my favorite things about the Fast movies is, is a theory that was postulated by um, L.B. Hunk-Tears, the uh, really notable journalist and wrestling writer, who explained that they have a belief that uh, the god plays a huge role in these movies because, mm -hmm. spoiler alert, sitting around a table and saying grace and having dining with a crew and being maybe invulnerable, like, there is a yeah. very odd, like, invisible hand of, like, Maybe Ramsey, if she, if Ramsey knew how to drive, they wouldn't be able to survive all this. Who knows? But um, look at Fan Fight for more about that theory or Fan Bite. Um, and then, but Ramsey doesn't know how to drive. Nobody drives in London. They have a tube. I can't blame them really. Um, yeah. But the, um, Cena is repelling. I mean, Jacob is repelling from ledge to ledge because um, he's a legend. Um, and then. Hey. Ramsey is just using this magnet dial to pull like the metal out of stores and tables off streets. It's like that's how it's really work. silly, really fun. Yeah, and it'll it gets even more absurd. But I I really enjoy the use of magnets in this film. It's just very silly, like playing with your Hot Wheels cars, uh, but as a set piece. That's when um, uh, Jacob is about to rocket launch to another position, but um. Oh, wait, no, I, I'm getting ahead of myself because in the back of the truck, Roman's going full pro wrestling, 
bouncing mm-hmm. off of the walls to punch people out of the truck. And it's he's Roman's combat skills, I forget, are like actually pretty darn cool. Oh yeah. He can hold his own. I mean, yeah, I mean this this is the man this is this is a ejecto Sidokas himself. Yep. This is the man who once, you know, violently ejected a a, a a Miami mobster out of a car uh with no remorse. So Roman could fight but yeah, so then finally, uh, just when J- uh, just when Jacob's trying to zip line to the next spot, Dom basically spears him through a wall. They're fighting in a men's tailor shop. Uh, there's this is their first real brawl between the two. Pretty standard stuff. Uh, there's that really fun scene where they're kind of jumping from bus to bus, and uh, yeah, then of course it all comes together because what do you know? They land on Ramsey's truck, and. Then Jacob is in a different car because Jacob's almost getting away. Yeah. But Ramsey so he, turns the dial. He steals a he steals a Toyota eighty uh, six, which is a cool old Toyota sports car, and drives away. Um, but yeah, he can't get too far away. There's like a there's like a fork in the road, and uh, there's a building in between them. And Ramsey's on the one side, and her in her electro magnet van, and they you think Jacob's getting away, and all of a sudden she turns that dial. <laughs> and the Toyota just goes through the entire building and just slaps right to the side of the of the Amazon truck with the magnets. So, I mean, that was a cool moment. That yeah. was probably my my favorite like single like move in the movie because it just you were you it, some things you could kind of see coming. That one I did not see coming at all. Nope, it was very much like oh, there are no rules. We are making this up as we go yeah. along. Mm-hmm. Fun. Um, Back to Otto and Jacob's lair because Otto is back and he's lost his Jacob and he needs 50 of the best men, an X-Wing, a Millennium Falcon, and even Chewbacca if we can get him. So he, clearly this dude loves him, Star Wars. Um, I tried to do it. He loves Star Trek joke there just to be that guy, but no, I forgot. Um, but Otto and Cypher start talking because he believes he is Luke freaking Skywalker. And Cypher's like, you? Really? What? Yeah. She's like, oh, well, I guess the daddy issues add up. And then he's like, oh, maybe I'm more Han. <laughs> Cypher goes, no, you're Yoda. Otto's like, oh, great. I'll take it. Yoda's super powerful. She's like, no, you're Yoda because he's a puppet with a hand up his ass, to which Otto did not uh, appreciate very much. But cut back but we, to the fast family. Yeah, every but... time Cypher just totally eviscerates someone, they just kind of walk away and they're like, <laughs> like, <laughs> Remember, he's attracted to and scared like, of Earlier him. in the movie, this same exact thing happened. Also, I've, I've heard this pointed out in other podcasts and whatnot, but it's like they, they're just keeping Cypher in this glass box. Like, did, where does she go to the bathroom? Does she get to eat? I have a lot of questions about how they handle her imprisonment. I believe there's a curtain that drops down for her privacy when she needs it. That's okay. just my theory. Okay. Um, they're, not, they're, they're not violating the Geneva Conventions here. Like, this isn't... <sighs> Like, this is, like, how Magneto oh, yeah. was kept in the glass box in the X-Men 2. Yes. Um, yeah. There's but, also a bunch of cool RGB sticks around her for some reason. That's, like, the security Those fence. Yeah, it was unexplained and weird <laughs> and funny. Um, but um, we flash back to the lair because Dom has Jacob locked up. And Jacob's, like, really feeling jealous because Han walks in. So... Yeah, all right. So, we'll, we'll no, no. I just another thing. I, I just one thing I want to point out that scene with this is one of those scenes where I was so glad we had a crowd because this was not meant to be funny, but that scene of kind of 
Jacob wistfully looking on at the family he doesn't have and seeing, you know, the Fast family embrace one another, our entire theater was hysterically laughing because it was just this overly dramatic, like John Cena just kind of just pouting and, and looking at, you know, looking at the, the family that could have been and we're all just laughing at him. I thought that was pretty, pretty funny. And it's correct. Like it's when they go really super serious with uh, Jacob, it always comes off as like, the audience saying, ha ha, funny, he's the bad guy now. That won't last long and we know it. Like, the yeah. the arc of being a villain in the Fast movies, unless you are Charlize Theron, the arc always bends mm-hmm. back to, which... It lasts, like, 75% of a movie on average. Which makes yep. me wonder if she's going to be eventually helping them in, like... I don't know. I don't, I don't believe in that. Um, but, um, Jacob Han walks in. Hey guys, surprise! Nice club with his snack, his signature snacks in tow. He's always snacking. So Adam, this was the funny thing that they revealed to us at the Alamo screening. This B-roll of like the Han character is an ex-smoker who is like always eating because of his like hands needing to have something to do. And it yeah. trades back to the movie Better Luck Tomorrow, which is in the Fast and Furious cinematic universe. So I've, I I got an update mm. my Fast and Furious movies in order article, I guess, but um. Everybody has these emotions. It's all. This is the moment where, like, the hashtag Justice for Han crowd really had their hearts swell up because Tej is in tears, hugging him. Roman walks over and t- tagging back to Roman, wondering about, like, are they invincible or not? He just sort of, like, starts touching Han to confirm he's, like, not a ghost. And then Dom walks up and just hugs him tight because family. And that's really Dom has moment. that moment where he just looks at him for like a good like <laughs> ten seconds, and I'm like, because I haven't seen all the movies, I'm like, does Dom like hate this guy for some reason or what? And then and then he just gives him the biggest hardest hug, the kind of hug from Dominic Toretto that would literally break the entire like your shoulders, your clavicle, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No mortal could survive a hug that familial from Dom because. <laughs> I'd still want to experience it. I might not survive, but I feel like that's that's as firm as a hug as you could possibly get. And this is where Han re- refreshes everybody on, wait, how are you alive? <laughs> because it turns out, Mike. Oh, man. I mean, yeah, again, I'm going to try to do this. None of this, this has yet, still doesn't make any sense to me how, you know, the whole, the way they continue to retroact- retroactively make Han's death scene more and more complicated and more and more layered than it ever was meant to be. But yeah, he basically says, you know, after he lost Giselle, uh, Gal Gadot, um, you know, he was just kind of aimless. He finally uh, finally makes his way to Tokyo. I think at some, somewhere along the way, he gets recruited by Mr. Nobody, who knew, who knew Giselle. He was kind of called upon to steal Project Ares. And when he got there, uh, he met Elle, who at the time was a little girl. 11 year old daughter of the scientist. So then, yeah, there's this scene where like he basically saves her from her would be killers. But I think he gets like shot too. It's like a really weird scene. Like how well, did he even, yeah, succeed? he's going there to steal one sense. half of project Aries. Yeah. So he, and so, but when he goes there to do that outside L's parents, these scientists, their car is blown up because yeah. they were the targets. And then, but Elle doesn't get blown up because she ran inside to get her coat or her umbrella because it's raining, I guess. And so the people who blew up that car are trying to take out Elle because they don't know any better. Like, they're trying to, 
they want to steal Project Ares too. And Han is like, I'm not going to let this 11-year-old child die because that's family. Um, I, I'm just putting words in his mouth. Um, because at this point, Han is without, he's aimless and lost, he says, without Giselle because she's off haunting Palestinian children somewhere. And he's really like, he has to do what's right because Mr. Nobody trusts him because he trusted Giselle and Giselle trusted Han. So Han is like, well, there's a lot, there's a lot that doesn't make sense. No, no. I don't know why you would try. And we, we haven't revealed what L's deal is yet, but you wouldn't want to kill L if you want Project Ares. So a lot of it doesn't make sense. And then, yeah, he gets like kind of shot in the back. Like L crawls underneath a bed or something. And then, and then uh, Han's on the ground and then he gets shot. Looks like the kind of shot that would kill a man, but no, he's fine. Nope. He, he, he saves himself by shooting those guys. And then Han L's in L's words, didn't want to leave me to be taken or killed. He knew I'd always be a target. Because somehow Han figured out that L is the magical key to Project Ares. You um, literally need her like her DNA yeah. to fully activate this yeah. thing. Because that's why because uh... L's parents didn't want it to fall into the hands of the wrong people. So what they thought was responsible was making their daughter a pivotal like the and making candy. their daughter a key to a, to basically a nuclear device. Who these evil people the, would want to course of the world? Yeah, like this thing would. Is Dom the... says the key isn't a thing; it's a person. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> like, Which is, you know, uh... it's there's a life lesson to be taken, you know, taken from that. This movie. It's not doesn't. about the keys sure. to the car. We are the keys, you know. But we're we're back to so after that incredibly convoluted ex- explanation about what happens to Han. It's, which will never make any sense to me. Uh, we're back. We're back in the lair. Well, Jacob's men are here to free him. Oh God, Henry! They have to explain that. Wait, but how did you die? Fast yes. forward to the end of Tokyo Drift, oh. if I'm correct, and it turns yes. out Mister Nobody had a nifty magic trick that took Deckard Shaw's attack on Han and used it as cover to fake Han's death. So the question is. Was Deckard Shaw aware that he was what he was doing was being used as a plot to like the the trick for to keep Han safe? Because if I'm reading this correctly, Mister Nobody w- knew that Han was in danger because of saving L, so that to save Han's life, he had to p- p- fake Han's death. Something like that. Okay. And yeah, I, I still I still don't understand the actual specifics. Like no. No. Was, was Han never in the car? Was it some kind of crat dummy or illusion? Because like you, when you see the when you see his death scene happen, it cuts to Han and Mister Nobody watching it from the sidelines, and he's like, "Nice magic trick you pulled off there." So I have so many questions about this scene that was literally when Tokyo Drift came out. This was just meant to be Han dying. There was no grand plan. They kept retroactively changing it. Um, it's just so silly, but whatever. It was worth it because Han's back and Han's the best. Yep. And um, Jacob and his men are here. No, sorry, Jacob, Otto and Jacob's men are here to bust Jacob out. They found him. We're not sure how. I mean, maybe they had his biometrics, too, so they could track him. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jacob reveals that he was the rogue agent who turned on Mr. Nobody. And now, because Jacob was listening, 
he knows that L is the key. <laughs> because they decided to explain everything that they had figured out while Jacob was imprisoned but you know it's not like there were even windows like there were just like there's open air passage between the room that jacob is in and the room that the rest of them are in and he could hear every single thing that was being said yeah, you they couldn't they you would think they'd go to like a conference room or somewhere else where where the where the villain couldn't hear their exact plan but no that makes too much sense eavesdropping yeah how does it work um but dom says now no jacob says to Dom, now you're going to spend the rest of your life living in my shadow. Which is a sentence I don't really think makes sense. Like, whatever. <laughs> um, but, because, like, I don't know. Um, and this is where Jacob reveals that it wasn't him sabotaging Jack Toretto. Jack ordered him to make that adjustment because they were trying to throw the race. Which, act because of that guy who was trying to run him off the road, led to Jake D Jack dying. Okay, um, but the Toretto's, it turns out, were deep in debt, which, no surprise there for some reason, um, mm -hmm. and Jack promised Jacob, you never tell Dom, which Dom says, a real brother would have told me, we would have figured it out, um, you should have told me, and then they take L, for some reason Otto tells the goons, don't kill Han, which is a plot mm -hmm. point that I, I feel like we're going to figure out later on, because... Things that happen in Hobbs and Shaw make me wonder about overarching, like, weird things. But you, you'll, you'll see Hobbs and Shaw soon. Um, mm -hmm. But then this is where, when everybody's leaving, the magnets that they took out of the van come in handy. Because earlier, mm -hmm. Ramsey and Tej were playing a trick on Roman, by who was eating something. Because when Roman's uh -huh. nervous, he eats. And they yeah. have a wall of magnets in the uh, base. And Ramsey activates the magnet wall to remove all the guns and smoke grenade pins off of the goons. Because that's how grenades work. Yeah, totally. It's physics. So, of course, then now you have all these live grenades. Uh, so things are blowing up. And, you know, Dom kind of stands as the last last bastion He's to let them all escape. Uh, he's willing to, he's basically willing to sacrifice himself. Letty's watching him just getting swarmed by dudes. This is this is part of why, because there's several, as Henry alluded to, like there's several theories about Dom just being an angel <laughs> and having died already. Because like he's just able to fight off like 20 goons in this ridiculous. Literally, scene. they're all holding him back. They're yeah. all holding him back in this chamber that's like only got like this one like kind of catwalk. Meanwhile, as they're holding his the upper part of his body, he's kicking another dude in the stomach with both of his feet. Like none of it makes sense. And then at the end of that uh, that fight that Letty is watching, he literally pulls these chains and absolutely just pulls down the entire concrete structure in this silo thing and then just sends them all into the water below. It all mm. reeks of, like, the third Nolan Batman movie when Bane was bored in the shadows. Like, when he falls down, like, all this dust and, like, metal falls... And Dom falls into the water, sinking, and there's, like, a blue, like, because he's in the water, filter over him. And it just feels all like a Nickelback video. Like, I'm waiting for This Is How You Remind Me to start hitting over, like, the PA. Mm -hmm. um, because we get a super emo flashback where Dom processes what he's been le just learned. He Jack is talking to him in the garage. He says, a Dodge Charger is immortal. 
like a family to his sons and because uh, the family lives beyond you and then Dom sees little B Brian and then Dom is jumps back to the past and he sees his dad on the phone talking about being in debt and it's just this super cut of like Toretto family angst and mm-hmm. um, we replay the moment of Jack telling Jacob to do the thing sabotage the car and we see Jacob processing the pain and anguish of doing this, not knowing that it would kill his father, but just not being happy, I guess, with um, getting um, um, undercutting their chances of winning the race. Um, and then, for some reason, in my notes, I have the word "but fam." I have the words "but family" in all caps as a quote yelled. Does anybody remember what that's from? Because remember, I'm like. I know that- <laughs> I don't know, but I love how you stylize this, Henry. It just says, but family, not sure, which I kind of just, you could say that just sums up this franchise as a whole. Um, but yeah, so luckily, Letty does save Dom, because uh, of course, when, when you're with the power family, there's nothing you can't do for your loved ones. Uh, Dom's like, you came for me. And Letty's like, none of it's worth a thing if I lose you. Really sweet scene. You know, she pulls him out of the water. And then they start coming up with their plan on how they're going to take out the satellite that uh, could activate Project Ares and put the world in a very bad place, uh, which this plan is, uh, turns out, is going to involve outer space. Going into orbit, to which Roman yells, Orbit! That's outer space! That's another level! Put rockets on our backs! To which Dom says, that's exactly what we'll do. In the most just classic, yeah, the most classic fast one-liner fashion. And then the baddies are setting up the the Project Ares sphere because they have L to activate it. And it's like spinning around like like if there was like the evil version of the GameCube logo, this would be the the goth version (laughs) of the GameCube logo unwrapping. And they they need L to hold both halves of the sphere, which was interesting because I was thinking like her DNA is a key. So, like, I don't know, can they take a lock of her hair or something like that? But, no, she actually has to hold them and then put them together, uh, which is an even more weird suggestion that her DNA is a key because I mean, it requires her to be alive at all times. Which is very weird, like, DRM. Like, that's – this isn't what my iTunes agreement <laughs> told me would happen. Um, but then – No, I mean, that's that's what that's what Activision is going to do next, actually. That's what uh... I was reading. Okay, that's what, um, also, uh, Ubisoft will use that for Assassin's Creed Infinite. Um, but basically, right. uh, this is, we're in the final act, because as was long rumored, Fast and Furious goes to space. We're in the cockpit of the Pontiac, um, and it's basically Tej and Roman in the worst um, astronaut costumes ever, which are scuba suits, basically. Which means Tej has to use duct tape to patch his air leak. Mike, what is this? What is happening? It's super fun, yeah. Tej is super, super uh, paranoid about you know any air leak because he he's the he's the, the scientist of the crew. He knows he knows that they can't uh, get exposed or they'll die. Um, you know they're talking about all the specifics with the Tokyo Drift crew, and you know they're obviously really scared. Roman's freaking out. Um, <laughs> there's some great exchanges where Tej is like, "Let's see how invincible you are a- after this," uh, but they do it. Like, they actually, they, they launched the rocket, the Tokyo Drift Boys press the button, and that, that Fiero, lo and behold, shoots off into space. They're saying this is crazy. Uh, it turns out Roman ate a lot of candy. 
because that's what Roman does when he's nervous. I mean, who could blame him? So do I. And, and on the yeah. route to space, Tej yells, told you the numbers don't lie, to which I, I just immediately flash back to that one Scott Steiner meme. Uh, <laughs> the numbers don't lie, they spell doom for you at sacrifice. The thing that most yep. non-wrestling fans have probably seen at some point to this day. Um, they had a 33.3% chance, yep. and it, it tell you what, it worked. Yep. Um, then back on Earth in Tbilisi's GMT Plaza, which I only know because I was looking at the buildings surrounding it. Um, it just looked like an F1 race almost from the background. Um, it's another, it's another race because it turns out L and Jacob and Otto are in this giant armored, like, it's what would happen if like a multi-chain bus was also a Humvee, I guess. What is mm-hmm. this? Con- yeah, I think that's what the because you know, uh, 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 song of song of the of the century so far, um, Roland uh, by Limp Biscuit is it's like L- Roland urban assault vehicle, right? Yeah. And then there's another one. It's like air raid vehicle. So I think that was the inspiration behind the scene. Okay, so this is the urban assault vehicle, right? Right. Yeah. And then so. They're trying to use all the magnets they can do to, like, throw cars and mopeds and, like, all the metal inside of a Home Depot, I'm pretty sure. Like, I'm pretty sure I saw a Home Depot logo at some point during this. Um, but it's not doing enough. So Han and El and Mia show up in a different car to help out. And that's not doing enough either. And it's just, like, this really weird, like, what are we going to do to stop them? Because, like, none of this shtick is working. Mm-hmm. And then Han and I will and... point out that the car that Han is driving um, is a a Toyota Supra, which is a new Supra that recently came out within the last two years. Critically, it is orange with kind of a black stripe, sort of the hood on it, which is a callback to the uh, Mazda RX-7 uh, Velside Fortune car that he drives in Tokyo Drift, and that until now we thought he died in. Um, and that RX-7 also, by the way, is, like, a really, just, like, the coolest fucking car in the series. But that's a, that's another tangent. But <laughs> I thought it was cool that they did that with the Supra. Uh, I thought that was a neat little, a neat callback and a, a neat tribute to a movie that I still need to see. They, these movies are all about the fan service. And that's sort of why I think there are better Marvel movies than Marvel movies. Um, and even just seeing, like, just seeing the way that Han drifts onto the scene, like, doing his signature move, basically. It was just so much fun. And then there's a goon who jumps into their car. And yet again, it's like the whole magnet are stopping us from fighting thing. It's a rule of threes gimmick. And then Han throws a bomb at him. And he goes, are you crazy? You're going to kill us all. And Han goes, no, just you. And Eject opens the door. And the guy's parachute pulls him out. And he blows up in air because that's what goons do. Um, But then Tej and Roman are in space. And it turns out they need to drive to the satellite. So they've got a magnet, right? And then that magnet will scramble the satellite when it gets close enough. Except there's a problem because while the shuttle took off without a hitch and they're in space and they're fine, the magnet won't fire up. So their entire mission at this point is busted. Yeah. And they're trying to figure out what to do. Meanwhile, on Earth, Otto says, hey, Jacob, go up to the top of the truck. Something's wrong with the uplink to the satellite. And then... Mia sees this happen, and she's like, something's wrong. Because she, she still cares about Jacob. But she was, as Mike said earlier, she's still checking in with Jacob. She's taking care of him. And then up at the top of the truck, 
this like fake George St. Pierre looking guy, this like bald goon comes up and he's one of Jacob's goons, but he's here to fight Jacob. And then to which Otto... He's more Otto's, he's more Otto's goon. Yeah. yeah. It turns out Otto reveals to Jacob that for some reason he's decided to betray Jacob to work with Cypher. And which point I'm wondering, why are you all... Wouldn't it be easier just to work together? Because, like, I'm sorry, but Cypher, you've seen these people before. You're letting a ter- you're letting Dom possibly have another ally. How do you think this is going to... You don't want to make that family bigger. No, no. <laughs> it's dangerous enough as is. So Jacob gets on the mic and he goes, You know, there's something I've never told you out that I've really wanted to tell you. You're a spoiled rich prick and I'm going to kill you. To which Otto replies, hey, spoiler alert, spoiled rich pricks run the world. And it's... Which I have to give Otto some credit. That's a pretty good comeback. Like, he's yeah. not wrong. He's not wrong. Nope. Very on the nose. <laughs> he's not wrong, Vulture, yeah. It's... Um, but then Dom sees Jacob in trouble. And Mike referenced this earlier when Letty was, like, jumping onto a car to be saved. Dom magnetizes a car to fly to be a jumping point. Like, like it's in Crash Bandicoot, and it's like a leaf lily pad. Like, mm-hmm. he gives him a car to hop onto. And then Dom, then Jacob is saved by Mia, and Jacob gets into her car because it's, like, the army vehicle, and it's safe. Mm-hmm. And that all made sense somehow. That, it like, works. It's logic. Yeah. But L gets onto the turret of the uh, armored car to shoot at the army vehicle, which does nothing. I enjoyed that. I thought that was really cool. L just, it was pretty, just, yeah. You yeah. Know, Give her some agency. Yeah. yeah. And then they try to throw cars to the tanker because magnets. That does nothing. Like, how are they going to... What are they going to do? And we learn that Jacob hasn't gone away. He's still listening. But... Yeah. They, it's like... Dom's like, we're going to have to flip this car with magnets. I guess that's possible. Um... And Letty is going to try to help him, but then she gets cut off and she can't get to him. And then Letty says that on the call, to which Jacob swoops in and goes, but I can't. And oh, yeah. the Toretto brothers manage to flip the tanker because the power of family and magnets combine. And this is like vehicular Captain Planet shit. And we're back in space. Because what happens in space? Oh, man. So it's, this is where Tej and Roman have their big hero moment. You know, it turns out, as we said, the magnets don't work. So they real, their one option is to brute force the satellite and just drive right into it, more or less. And, um, you know, they, I, th- I think this is Roman. He's like, hey, we're not invincible. We've probably just been lucky this whole time. But you know what? If we're going out, let's go out on top of the world, literally, because they're in space. Um, and they decide to do it. And just as the countdown, the Aries countdown, is about to reach it's you know we're about to reach the end and they're gonna get full control they drive into satellite blow that thing up beautiful moment it's what george lucas has been trying to accomplish in you know several star wars films and never could they don't just drive and, into uh, it they drive through it like, they, they drive, drive through right it. through a satellite <laughs> yeah so they get right as uh things are and, right as Ares, this... you know, Ares is supposed to go online but go ahead adam this patchwork pontiac fiero that's being held together with duck 
tape chewing gum and some welding just survives whereas the satellite is completely blown apart it, it totally it makes sense yeah <laughs> well for all this yeah i'm not yeah. yeah it's weird um but then cypher has said enough is enough and she's gonna fly in to just take them out because now everything's going wrong and mm-hmm. cypher it turns out is also an experienced fighter pilot and is shooting missiles and it's gonna just try to blow them up and Dom, knowing that Ares needs to be ended, breaks it in half and chucks one half away. Hopefully never be seen again. But he gets out of the truck at just the right time to blow up Cypher. Am I remember? Is it the giant oh, truck that's, that that's blows? that's correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah so the, but, but the twist is Cypher was never in that plane. She was controlling it remotely because, of course, she was. You see, uh, yeah, you see connection lost. And the screen, like what you thought was the canopy, is the screen just has goes to fuzz and shuts yeah. down, and then she gets she was, out. Of she the was drone. doing some some sim racing, so. as 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 yeah. Adam is familiar with. Absolutely. Uh, and, she was using her thrust. She was using her thrustmaster uh, just to <laughs> keep herself out of danger. And this is where Microsoft Flight Simulator. Uh, you know, it turns out the secret villain all along is in Microsoft. Okay, I'm not surprised. Um. <laughs> This is all about Game Pass in the end, I'm pretty sure. But um, this is where Dom and Jacob have their little moment together. And it's all, like, Jacob offers the car, the keys to the, his car that he was driving back to Dom. And Dom's like, I've been in this kind of situation before. A lot of people are going to be coming after you. And and it's so wholesome that Marie had to join us. And yes. it's just like... Speaking of family. Yeah. And speaking of love. Yeah, this this was a nice scene. Of course, I mean, we should have seen this coming that that Jacob would turn face because you can't put John Cena in the Fast franchise and not keep him around and eventually have him join the family. But I will say I had a hard time buying into, like, I didn't feel much during Jacob and Mia's reunion when they hugged because we didn't get we didn't get to see their relationship at all. Like, we got to see Dom and Jacob as kids. Oh, we just got a piece of exposi- exposition that me yeah. and Jacob still talk. But, like, there wasn't much to that moment for me that, like, oh, yeah, all right. But, you know, I, I-, I was glad to see uh, glad to see Jacob officially on the good guys team, and I'm sure we'll have a lot of fun with that uh, in 10 and 11. And this the is... lack of Mia in the flashbacks is really weird. Um, but the, the one thing that we kind of skipped over is uh, when... Um... When uh, Jacob is freed in the Fast Family lair, uh, and he comes out, and everyone else is like the guard drawing everybody, he does say, "Sorry, Mia." Like he, Mia is the only one he apologizes to, uh, and then you know he basically tells Dom he's gonna eventually kill him. So it's a good yeah, point. It's good weird. point. It's the, weird that's um, not explored more. The women yeah. of the Fast and Furious movies have chronically been underdeveloped and not given enough shrift uh, by the scripts. Um, that's sort of why. I guess they will have one spin-off movie dedicated to just the women, whereas the men had nine plus movies. Um, but Mia says, lost you once. Don't let that happen again. Okay. And then there's a goodbye. And then we cut to space where a Russian satellite is minding its own business. When Tej and Roman sort of float towards it and they look a little <laughs> swollen and jumping back to the beginning of the movie, Roman or Tej yells, we come in peace, like they did with uh, going to the ranch. But Mike, Adam, one of you, what do the Russians say? 
They say, what is it? They say, oh, they look like minions, right? Why do yep. they look like that's minions? That's a line. Yeah. I think that's a line. Of course, of course. Yeah. You got to keep it. This is the universal uh, film universe. So, so it's a question. Shout out. Will there be a Fast and Furious Minions crossover? There's already a rumor of Fast and Furious Jurassic World crossover that's been. I'm sure we'll get like a sh at least a short or some kind of like something silly like they did. They just did with Loki and the Simpsons, like some kind of silly 10 second, 10 minute cartoon. Mm -hmm. Of like Dom, a, a minion Dom Toretto <laughs> racing whoever the freaking chief minion is these days. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but we get I back. Do like that they happen across that satellite, you know, because space is a very small place. There's yes. only like three things up there. Yeah, you're always <laughs> gonna run to the International Space Station. Like that's just how it is. Yeah. yeah. But so back on Earth, Dom takes young Brian to the track that we went to earlier tells me he learned everything he needed in life this track because of the flashback to Dom and Jacob after the crash when their father died the cops are coming and Jacob's sad but Dom says it's going to be okay because we're family I mean he's not wrong but mm -hmm. we really get to the heart of the family because we're jumped to the again back to present day because a lot of stuff happens in this movie this might be our longest episode ever not sure. Um, the Coronas are popping. It's the barbecue. Oh, yeah. Everything is normal. And the Tokyo Drift the crew gets their moment with Han. end of the Fast and the Furious. The classic end of the Fast and yep. Furious barbecue scene. I love that they just, like, it's a Lowe's home improvement ad is what it is. Yeah. Every yeah. single time at the end of these movies. <laughs> and the Tokyo Drift crew reunites with Han. It's like, Mike, how good was, was this? That made me so happy again. Like, just the way they tied everything together and really, really honored every type of fast fan by like, yeah, even even the Tokyo Drift crew are back. Uh, it was such a sweet moment. Uh, we see Santos cooking and he mentions that Leo's in Brooklyn <laughs> running a crap restaurant. It doesn't matter because those hipsters eat everything. Uh, it's just a lot of sweet stuff. Uh, we see some Brian and Letty, some nice Brian and Letty stuff. And I think Dom asked baby Brian to say grace this time. Just say whatever is in your heart. Yes, it's very sweet. And then, of course, there's an empty seat. And um, who could that seat be for, guys? He's on the way, is what Letty says, I believe. And then and we see that. What is uh? What's the what's Brian's iconic car, Adam? Classic Bayside Bayside Blue R34 Skyline GTR drifting through the streets. That was that was really cool. It was good. I love how yeah. like. Fast and Furious is kind of like Transformers, where every character has their corresponding car, and I love that they're just so consistent about that. Like you see the Dodge Charger, that's that's Dom. You see the the um, or the Subaru or whatever it is, uh, that's Brian. Uh, so yeah, that was that was a nice little. It was just a nice little. I don't know what you call it, nice little tribute to Brian, nice little tribute to Paul Walker. Like yes, Brian O'Connor's still in this universe. He's still you know part of the family. Everything's great and. Nice little, nice little way to hit us in the fields before they send us home. But uh, we did get a little bonus in the form of a quick little post-credit stinger. Because if Han is back, that means Han has to have some words with the man who thought he killed Han. And we cut to <laughs> Deckard Shaw, a.k.a. Jason Statham himself, um, kickboxing. He's in like a gym somewhere, dark room. He's very angsty. And he's like a punching bag, kickboxing punching bag i don't but there's a guy inside of it who like 
tries to like bargain with him and I'll give you the thing. Uh, the, and Jack, uh, Jason Statham goes, the thing I have right here. And, and the guy goes, gulps himself down and then knock, knock. Who's there? Han's there. End. And that's basically the teaser for Hobbs and Shaw part two. I'm guessing. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Hey, Jackie, thank you for shopping by. Yeah. We are almost done with uh, today's episode. We are talking about the latest Cenophiles, uh, Fast 9, the Fast Saga, F9, really, not at Fast 9. But now we've got the end of the movie. And um, before we get to trying to rank it within the John Cena movies, which, Adam, for your mental health, we did not make you watch all of them to know the context <laughs> of how bad it gets. But yeah. in comparison to all of the many movies you go see in comparison to the other fast nine food movies you've seen. What did you think of this? I thought it was, I thought it was good. I, you know, I think I should have probably watched all the uh, outstanding movies I hadn't seen yet in the series. Like Mike did. Cause it was clear to me, like there was a lot of stuff I had missed, even like not realizing like Helen Mirren was in the last one and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was enjoyable. You know, I my feeling about these movies is they're very stupid, but they're just fun and you just yeah. don't yeah. think about it too much and you just you just watch you just watch watch uh you know Dominic Trope, you know, say family and, and bust shit with his skull and I like I like the Han was back, that was cool and Roman's really funny and yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, that. I would say as someone who watched the whole franchise in a week, it's probably like in the middle of the pack for me and like my personal fast ranking. I don't know where exactly I put it, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think it had some of the most creative set pieces in the series, definitely in a series filled with ridiculous plot lines and massive leaps of logic. I think it had one of the most ridiculous plot lines and biggest leaps of logic. So like the story was even more convoluted than usual, but it's like, I don't know, as someone who just binged that whole franchise, I feel like I, I got, I, got exactly what i came to that movie for you know i got a fast and furious movie it's big it's ridiculous it's self-aware it knows it knows what it is and what it isn't and um had a lot of fun with it so solid fast and furious movie and part of me wants to round I will up add because... one thing and that's uh i feel like like my biggest issue is it did get so complicated and so unwieldy and had so many characters and so many moving parts of like yeah it was I mean, I have no attention span, which is why I'm not really a good movies person anyway. But it was hard to follow in a way that, like, I don't remember Fast Five or Six being. You know, Fast Five was pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, but you know, I think that's just the a casualty of these movies just becoming so big and, mm-hmm. and just gaining all the star power and stuff. You know, which makes sense. And that's sort of why I'm going to bring it to Mike. I sort of think trying to contextualize this with the top ranking, because I don't think this, this is definitely the top end of the Cena movies. It's not at the middle or bottom end. Mm-hmm. Um, was this movie better than Bumblebee? Ooh, um, that's tough. You know, I think Bumblebee was a more cohesive film. You know, it was like a more cohesive action movie, although it was a little heavier on, it was almost like half of uh, one part teen drama, one one part action movie. Uh, I, I think, I don't know. I, I, I definitely, I was probably more into this movie than Bumblebee. Um, but again, like we have to, here's, here's where things get tricky. I think this was a, a great, you know, a, a, a very good fast movie, a very good action movie. 
judging it as a John Cena film, that's I was exactly. A under- yep. Right. I was a little underwhelmed by the amount of screen time and even just his character where I just feel like he wasn't obviously he wasn't in the film a whole ton. And I don't think he got really much to work with. You know, he got some really fun set pieces. He'll obviously I think he'll become much like The Rock did. I think he'll become a, uh, an integral part of the franchise. I have no doubt. But with he had limited screen time and the, the, the screen time he did have, I feel like he was just john cena that happened to be on the bad guy team and eventually changed his mind um so that was my big criticism but i don't think it was a great john cena film just because he wasn't actually in it a lot and didn't do a lot uh but i think he has a lot of potential and they obviously kept him around for a reason i think he has a lot of potential within fast and furious agreed and that was actually my same criticism for bumblebee in that he played a character in that movie that was sort of like not in the mainline story, kind of like sort of also kind of the bad guy at first and then helps later. So mm-hmm. I'm primed to give this the same rating as Bumblebee is four out of five knuckle shuffles. I think this is a solid four out of five for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I think knuckle that's shuffles. Yep, four it. knuckles. Actually, technically it's four knuckles out of five because of the five knuckle shuffle. Um, but that I believe keeps blockers as the number one John Cena Cenophiles movie at 4.5 out of 5. Um, and we're going to find out in a, about a month's time whether or not there can be a, a more perfect union between John Cena and Celluloid with James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Um, we are still confirming all the scheduling for that, but since it's on HBO Max, it'll be easier for people to watch before, they, before we do the stream. We'll probably do it closer to the release date. But we will get back to y'all with that. But Without further ado, that's not the final movie of the series, because Vacation Friends, a comedy starring John Cena, comes out on August 27th, but that's all we have to say for today, so Adam, is there anything else you would like us to let you plug before we bid these fine folks adieu? Uh, no. No. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I write stuff on Jalopnik. So if you like the cars, if, if you go the Fast and Furious, uh, because you like the cars, in addition to the family, of course, uh, check out the, the fun stories that me and my coworkers write over at Jalopnik. And, uh, if you like video games, check out the Time Extend podcast. And that's, uh, that's about it. Awesome. Mike, does Maria have anything to say? Is there anything we want to leave yes. the folks with? Well, Marie says, if you want more Marie content, just follow me on Instagram uh, at MikeStrikesBack underscore. It should be on your screen as well. Also follow me on Twitter. But Instagram is where you'll get the most Marie content. And yeah, just want to thank you all for watching as usual. This is definitely uh, a great time to remind you all that we are on every podcast service. We are on YouTube. Uh, This is definitely an awesome time to catch up on everything we've done because we're going to be on a bit of a break until Suicide Squad comes out in about a month. And then, of course, Vacation Friends, the, the must-see film of the year. Uh, so, yeah, this is a this is the best time to just binge on some Cenophiles and uh, explore the wonderful works of John Cena from the Marine to now. But, uh, yeah, follow me. Again, like I said, follow, I'm everywhere on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, I have a Zanga from the 2000s, if you could do some do some hacking and dig that up. But That's, that's my me. favorite Street Fighter, Zanga. Um, <laughs> but without further ado... We have now answered that question again. You can stream him, but should you? And we will see you later.